Serpents from the Garden of Eos Potion 2 The Atlantis of Hellas in the Middle Sea Section A Atlantis Rising Subsection 2 Atlantis of Greek Myth Episode A The Deluge Deucalion and Pyra were the first king and queen of Pythia in southern Thessaly. This area included Opuntian, Locris, Malus, Pythiotis, and the Thessalian lands. The parents of Deucalion were Prometheus and Clymenine. Prometheus was a titan god who had fashioned humankind out of clay and somewhat later had defied Zeus by giving humans the secret of making fire. Pyra was the daughter of Pandora, the first woman made from clay, who had married Epimetheus, the brother of Prometheus. It was Pandora who had opened the forbidden basket of evils and set loose all sorts of misfortunes and miseries into the world. Deucalion and Pyra were some of those few first people to survive the great deluge of the world and compose a new human tribe of silver. These few silver people were the only survivors of the great flood sent by Zeus at the start of his reign over the gods. Before Zeus had become the king of the gods, there had been another tribe of humans called the Golden Tribe that had lived during the prior reign of the Titan god Kronos. The myth of Deucalion and Pyra and those few similar myths of other survivors of the great deluge sent by Zeus are almost surely the mythic survivals of tales originating about the tsunami destructions caused by the explosion of the Theron volcano. Geologists have determined that the Thera eruption was one of the very largest and most powerful volcanoes ever to erupt in the known history of the planet. The modern eruption of the Krakatoa volcano in Malaysia that occurred in the 1880s is one of the only other eruptions known to compare with its explosive power. Another eruption that occurred in 1816 and caused that year's so-called dark summer in Europe is also used for comparison. The tsunami waves 
from the Theron volcano have been estimated to have had the potential of being 500 feet in height when the long tidal wavelengths encountered land mass obstructions. Coastal damages from the waves could have occurred as far inland as 5 to 10 miles. An inland sea such as the Mediterranean probably intensified the destruction because of the ability of these waves to refract from a coastline and change direction, reverberating backwards in an opposite course. An island such as Crete, only 150 miles from Thera, could and probably did experience tsunami waves on opposite coasts. The width of the island of Crete is approximately some 30 miles on average. Due to the great speed of the tsunami, both the northern and southern coasts of Crete could have been deluged within the same hour almost. North American dendrologists, scientists who study trees, have been very helpful in determining the exact year in which the Theron volcano made its eruption. They have determined from the much reduced size of the tree rings in North America for the year 1628 BCE that Thera must have exploded in that year, since only an obscure and dark summer sky could have reduced the tree growth. There are several things having to do with the Deucalion and Pyra myth that make it almost certain the legend is mostly about Crete and Minoan Atlantis. The deluge is claimed by the mythmakers to have caused the devolving from a tribe of gold to a tribe of silver. They imply that the earlier antediluvian gold tribe was superior to the new silver tribe which repopulated the Aegean and Hellas after the flood from the few remaining survivors. They the mythmakers also remember that the catastrophe was caused by the change of rule from the old titan gods of the gold tribe to the new Olympian gods of the silver tribe. The titan gods of gold have been ruled by Kronos and Rhea. The Olympian gods of silver were later ruled by Zeus the son of Kronos and Rhea. And, very importantly, here it should be well noted that Zeus was born of Titan Rhea and Kronos upon the island of Crete, where he was raised in the Camares cave upon Mount Ida 
in the Dictaean cave on Mount Dictes. Today, the entrance to the cave of Kamaris on Mount Ida is still visible from the Masara Plain where the Minoan Palace of Phaistos is situated directly below Ida. If you walk onto the large palace patio of Phaistos, you can get the same clear sight of the cave entrance as the rulers of Phaistos did in the golden age of Atlantis. The progenitors of the Silver Tribe survived the great flooding of the world because of their situation on Mount Olympus in Thessaly. They may have reached safety on the mountain by sailing away in a boat before the waves struck. Some versions of the myth mention a boat, others do not. The mountain was supposed to be the later home of the new generation of gods on Olympus. But was the original Olympus a mountain in Thessaly? If this legend had to start in Crete after the Thera volcanic deluge, it seems much more likely that the mountain of the refuge was located in Crete instead, especially since the Minoans built many mountaintop sanctuaries of the gods on the highest peaks of the island for worship and security. One such enormous Cyclopean sanctuary of the gods was built atop Mount Juctus near the palace of Gnosis. The situation of the huge megalithic blocks of stone used in building its wall show that it was for the purpose of fortress security when it was built in the early Minoan period. A later temple to the goddess of night was then built within the encompassing walls on the peak. Fortress temple sanctuaries such as the one on Mount Juctus near Gnosis seemed to fit the site of the survivors refuge ideally. These Cretan mountain sanctuaries were the first that were thought to be the home of the gods, since the most ancient home of the goddess Nu Nix had always been the tribal cave frequently positioned on a tall mountain. One thing about the boat detail of some versions the safest place to be when a tsunami occurs is at sea. The waves of a tsunami travel rapidly with a long wavelength when they move through open water. Someone in a boat might not notice the passage of their waves since they attain a height of only a few feet in deep water. Hitting land in shallow water scrunches up the wave, compacting its size by many orders of magnitude and making it much, much taller.
If the myth of Deucalion and Pyra had its origin in Crete originally, why then do the retellings of the legend make them the rulers of Thessaly and the deluge occur there instead? Firstly, the Greeks thought the catastrophe to be worldwide. For them, the immediate area of the Aegean Sea was most of their world, and this is where the worst destructions took place. Even the wider Mediterranean that was the limits of their domains was not without the reach of the waves. Therefore, it didn't make that much difference if the site of the legend was mainland Thessaly or island Crete. Another reason for their difference in location could be because the retelling of the myth as we have it came initially from Thessaly instead. And it should also be remembered that the Thessalian plain is one of the oldest areas of inhabitation in Hellas. Many thousands of years before the exiled lower kingdom made its new home in Atlantis, the plains of Thessaly had already been settled by Egyptian colonists. The Sesclo tribe, with its colonial settlements unearthed by a Maria Gimbutas, are from a much earlier epoch than Atlantis, when Neolithic settlers from Egypt first began their outward expansion into the Middle Sea. The Sesclo mainly chose the rich harvest soils of the Thessalian plain for their primitive farming settlements and communities. So, from 8500 BAS onwards, this area of Hellas had been settled by Lower Egyptians and Cretans. Therefore, it was only natural that some 3,000 years later, Thessaly should once more be colonized by the exiled dynasts of Atlantis. And, indeed, the mythic histories of the Mycenaean epic in the Bronze Age show that the city kingdoms of Thessaly in this later period of Atlantis hegemony were close allies and tributaries of the island empire. From the nights of the first primitive farming communes in the prehistoric period of Sesclo till the later wide rule of Atlantis in the Bronze Age, Thessaly had always been a fertile pasture friendly to Cretans and Egyptians. A renowned Mycenaean kingdom of Thessaly was named Pythia. Pythia was the kingdom of Peleus and his son Achilles. The kingdom of Pythia ruled over the farmlands of southern Thessaly during the epoch of imperial Atlantis 
the legendary mythic founder of the Pythian ruling house was King Aeacus, who first ruled over the Aegeanians on the island of Aegina near Athens in the Saronic Gulf. It is with the founding myth of the island of Aegina that epic Myrmidons are first encountered. Myth has it that there was no people on the island and Aeacus appealed to Zeus to populate it with colonists. Zeus fulfilled the wish of Aeacus by producing the first Aegeanetans from ants infesting an oracular oak tree. The ants became people and the colonial settlers of Aeacus. Later they were called Myrmidons from the Greek words Myrmex, ant, and Myrmidon, ant's nest. Another myth of Myrmidon generation is from Thessaly and probably relates the somewhat later colonization of Thessaly by Aegeanetans and Cretans of Atlantis. In this myth, the king is already named Myrmidon. The myth says that the first king of the Myrmidons was named Myrmidon and that his father was Zeus and his mother was a Thessalian princess named Yuri Medusa. King Myrmidon gets his moniker in this myth because of the fact that Zeus lay with his mother while possessing an army of ants. This myth is very important for also explaining why it was that Lord Zeus might involve ants in the propagation of people. The mother of the Myrmidon tribe is Princess Yuri Medusa. The name of the princess separates into a compound word with the prefix Yuri meaning wide or wide ruling and the root Medusa meaning serpent priestess. The mother of King Myrmidon and his tribe of Myrmidons was a high priestess of the serpents. The serpent god Lord Set and his mate Lady Isis which in the new speak of Atlantis was Lord Dionysus and Lady Persephone. Lord Zeus, the newly reigning king of the gods, probably chose ants to possess in propagating them because of the serpentine habit of infesting caves where they were earthborn Chthonia ruling the underground world of dark night. Lord Zeus had been using a metaphor for Chthonia when he chose to possess the eponymous army of ants while engendering the tribe of Myrmidons upon the Thessalian high priestess 
of the serpents. King Aeacus of the Myrmidons was once a very important person in the mythology of the Dorian colonists of Atlantis. This can be seen from the fact that Idoneus had three assistants helping him in his rule over the dead souls in the Tartarean depths of shadows. These viziers of hell were once great lords of Atlantis. They were the great pharaoh of night himself, Lord Minos of Gnosis, the brother of Minos and ruler of Phasus, Rhadamanthes, the viceroy nomarch of the cornfield valleys of Masara, and the powerful favorite of the god of goats, the wild roaming one of the mountain steeps, Nomarch Aeacus, who led the Minians of Zagreus in the old Pelasgian lands beyond the sea. These three viziers of Aeatoneus have much the same function in hell as the lords of night once had in the twilight regions of the Thuat or Sekim Amenti. They made sure that only those spirit souls of the evil and deserving made it into the paradise lands of the underworld. The souls of the daylight righteous good, on the other hand, were given over to the great devourer of the unlucky, ever-huge Typhoneus, the gigantuan lizard of adamantine armor who breathed fire from his home in the western isles of obscurity. This difficult task of separating the daylit souls of the many from the nocturnal souls of the deserving and damned few was reserved originally for the horned hunter of night in the mythology of Egypt. Traditionally, Lord Osiris had always exercised this important role in the western lands of the dead, at least from the historical period onwards, though there is some indication remaining in the myths of the Egyptian underworld that the sunset god of twilight, Lord Atem, had a function of initially welcoming dead souls into the lotus fields of hell as well. One other interesting myth having to do with Aeacus has to do with a prophecy made by the solar god of the sun. The god Apollo once made the prediction that the descendants of Aeacus, the Aeacidae, were to be the ones responsible for the fall of Troy. Apollo said this was foretold by an incident that occurred during the building of the walls of Ilium. The thick walls of the city were made by the immortal hands 
of the gods Apollo and Poseidon, and, for some reason, they chose Aeacus to help them build the impregnable courses of stone. Seems that after the Trojan walls were first built, that they were attacked by three enormous dragons, which each rushed against a different side of the walls to destroy them. Only one of the dragons survived and crushed one portion of the wall. The other dragons died upon encountering the sides built by the gods Apollo and Poseidon. The dragon which survived was the one that had broken through the course of wall built by Aeacus. Knowing this myth, the Pythoness oracle of Apollo was said to have delivered the prophecy that Troy was to fall by the hands of the Aesidae, descendants of Aeacus, which is precisely what happened after Achilles joined the Trojan campaign of the fourth war between the moon and the sun. The myth of Deucalion and Pyra is an historical rendering of a world-ending catastrophe expressed in the language of Bardic folklore. Pyra is a feminine figure of misfortune, destruction, and death who also becomes the mother of regeneration by starting a new tribe of silver. She is a mother of the new world, though she reminds of the grandeur and horrendous fate of the golden past. The basket she carries was used in the mysteries by her mother, Pandora. Within the basket are all the many sorrows that plague human existence, disease, strife, misery, and death. though there is something else within the basket at its bottom and this is hope the hope that human existence has a purpose ordained by the gods that the world of nature is mysterious for a reason that we cannot glean from the golden fields of life-sustaining corn the sorrows let loose upon the world during the end of the Golden Tribe when the great deluge submerged Atlantis beneath the waves and Pyra's mother, Pandora, opened the fateful forbidden basket are merely the natural human mystery of existence written large in the order of the Universal Creator. Death and misfortune and fate are the mystery, and life is the hope. From the dark waters of death and destruction came a new tribe of silver forged in the fires of love. Though the god Eros had taken on yet another new form, 
and the rule of Kronos had devolved upon his offspring, Zagreus. Love was not unknown, and his new invisibility, given him by Dis, the lord of death. The new god Hermes took his place as messenger of the love and affection of night and nature. The god Zagreus, who later became Zeus, had always been the Cretan form of the horned hunter of night. He was to the Cretans what Osiris and Atem was for the Egyptians, from which he got his origin. The difference on Crete was that Zagreus had an especial creature totem. Zagreus was the wild mountain goat from which sprang the many herds of the later civilized Near East. The wild goat is called the Cree on the island of Crete. Most likely, this is where the island gets its name. It's where goats come from. The male of the Cree wild goat species is called an agrimi, meaning the wild one, and the female is called a sonata. Interestingly, the goat ram is also a constellation of the night sky named Creos, that was thought by the ancients to regulate the seasons. The god Zagreus got his name from the male of the wild goat species, the Agrimi. The letter Z at the start of his name is only a rotation of the letter N. The prefix Za before Agrimi comes from the most ancient form of the Egyptian name for the sun god of day, the god Anu. Anu equals za na reversed zagrimi became zagreus zagreus was the cretan horned hunter of night evolved from the lower egyptian horned hunter of night zagreus was the minoan form of the lower egyptian god Osiris or Atem. Zagreus was the sun at twilight and in the underworld of night. Zagreus was also therefore the moon, the eye of God during the night. Somewhat later the Uchet eyes of God came to be thought of as either Lord Set or Lord Horus, depending on whether they were the moon or the sun. After the exile of the Memphis dynasty to Crete, the upper Egyptian priests made Lord Horus the only eye of God. Lord Zagreus, the wild one, didn't fare so bad though. He had a Minoan palace named after him on the east coast of Crete. 
the village and palace of Zakros, or the place where the moon sails over the sea. This is probably the sense of his Arcadian name in Greek, since the word pan means all or everything in Greek. Pan is then the god of all nature, or, if presiding over the sacred hunt, the god of all horned beasts. Pan and Zagreus are the original god of the day sun first worship in the Paleolithic. Only tens of thousands of years later, here on Crete and in Arcadia, the horned god has become a twilight nocturnal deity instead of a solar god. Zagreus is the wild horned one who leads the hunting band back to camp over the lone hillsides in the ghostly moonlight of dusk. His pipes are filled with the subdued sound of an exuberance and rout that swirls up from the shadowed mist-laden paths on the trek back to the cavern. The myths of Zagreus in his diminutive form of Zeus start with his birth on the island of Crete. His mother, Rhea, dreading the jealous wrath of her husband, Kronos, gives the swaddling Zeus over to a naiad, Hephaestus, who raises him to adulthood in a cavern on Mount Ida. Here in the cave of Kumaris, and another on Mount Dictes, the serpent priestess and her female Sonata goat tend for Zeus away from the knowledge of his father Kronos, who has been given an oracle of his reign's royal successor. The cave of Kumaris where the naiad goat herd Amalthea tended Zeus is still visible from the patio of the palace of Phaestus. A large dark spot at the center top of the mountainside a few thousand feet above the fertile Masara plain. You can imagine the vice nomarch Rhodomanthes leading the harvest procession up to the cavern entrance, the throngs of worshippers carrying offerings to the goatfoot god, visible in one long column from the fields of the serpent afar beneath in the valley. At the start of the 20th century, when Arthur Evans was excavating Knossos, a first exploratory expedition ascended Mount Ida and made an initial survey of the cave in 1901. The survey team found a large cavern with a vault chamber inside the enormous entrance 
that was some 100 meters in length. Beyond the vault room was a twisting and turning passageway that led to another inner smaller room. The inside of the last room had a sloping floor that descended to a pool of water. Twelve years later, in 1913, the excavation of the Kamari's cave was made and the vast majority of finds were offering vases, some 1,800 pottery vessels, most of which were of distinctive styles from the Masara Plain. Besides the pottery vases, there was also discovered signs of habitation from the Neolithic period with some stone and bone tools and the skeletal remains of animals that had been eaten. Among the Minoan era pottery was also found a few oil lamps and the feet of tripod cooking cauldrons. The artifacts discovered were not what you could describe as spectacular finds, though they do show that the Minoans retained a reverence for the cave many thousands of years later after the cave was first used as a natural homestead in the Neolithic. These artifacts discovered in the Kamari's cave near Phaestus indicate that the Cretans worshipped the gods of night in this cave for a continuous period of some 6,000 years from the first early Neolithic until the much later Archaic period. The myths of Zeus living there also show that the Minoans thought of the cavern as a home of the gods at least one of the gods, though probably more, were once thought to abide there. This provides a very good mythic correlation for supposing that the other mountaintop sanctuaries of the Minoans were thought to be the homes of the gods. And not only were they the home of Zeus, but they were also the abode of his all-powerful mate, the primordial goddess of night, Universal Nyx, who was known in Egypt as the goddess Nu. She must have lived there in the cave of Camares as well. The later mythographers don't always call her the goddess Nyx, though. She later had many names, which were an inheritance from many, many thousands of years of human worship. When speaking of the very first gods, those primordial deities that first made the migration from out of Egypt not long after the start of the new Stone Age, 
when the first farming and seafaring starts, the Greek mythmakers of later eons like to call the goddess Nu by their name for the first goddess of Earth, the primitive and abstract Gia. They can do this without mythic error because the goddess Nyx was also a goddess of Earth, and she was not merely a goddess of the night sky. At the epic of the Minoan period of Atlantis, even though the goddess was still known in Egypt by her arcane name of Nu, within the same mainland Egypt, she was by then thought to be only a primordial sky goddess of night who combined with Kepera in the first creation. Whereas on Crete, she was still worshipped even later yet as she had been before the exile in the Memphis and Delta of the Setian Lower Dynasty as the all-encompassing goddess of night and earth. In the islands of Atlantis, she was remembered to be the same goddess as she had always been before, ever since the already eternally ancient eons of stone. One mistake that Hesiod makes, though it can be seen as a mere preference of naming tradition, is his mating of Uranus, the sky god or universal god above us, with the goddess Gia, the Greek primordial earth goddess. Originally, ever since humans worshipped the first gods of the Paleolithic tens of thousands of years ago, the mate of the male sky god had always been his counterpart, the night sky goddess. The universal sky gods had always been a male day sky god and a female night sky goddess. What may have confused Hesiod is the fact that the sky goddess of night was also a goddess of the earth as well. Even much later in the pagan Venusian era of history, the evolved descendant goddesses of earth keep their nocturnal attributes from when they were more simply known as the goddess Nu or Nyx. This can especially be seen with the later incarnation of Nyx as the goddess Demeter. The son of Demeter is Dionysus and his name means literally the son of night. Demeter is the night mother goddess of earth. Even the goddess Athena still retains some of her nocturnal qualities such as the owl 
that is her creature totem. This bird of night was at first a totem of her daughter, the bird goddess, and her idolon have retained the night bird from her more primitive idols, probably because of holy lapidary traditions. That this interpretation is correct can be seen from her other totem, the snake, which in myth is a holy creature of her offspring, and her serpent offspring also form part of the Eidolon tradition passed along by sculptors. The goddesses Demeter and Athena are both then later forms of the goddess Nyx, and the goddess Nyx is a later form of the Egyptian goddess Nu.